0: Hello and welcome to episode 298 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories, one page and one panel at a time. In this episode, we have an interview with Jeff Lotti, comics creator and the creator of Accidental Renegades, now on Kickstarter. Jeff, thanks so much for, for joining us. Let's do as we normally do when we start off an interview. We, ha- we ask for two things. We ask for a quick bio about yourself and an elevator pitch for the book. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Love the
1: show. I'm really happy to be on it. I'm, uh, I'm Jeff Zanilati. I'm the founder of Zed Comics Original. I'm also the creator, writer, and artist for Accidental Renegades. And Accidental Renegades is on issue one right now, currently in Kickstarter. It's a 36-page manga-inspired comic about bumbling superpowered mercenaries who unintentionally ignite a global revolution. And it kind of poses the question to the reader is, how do you stay out of the public eye when you become the most notorious people on the planet? Kind of flip some of these superhero tropes on on its side. I think it'd be an enjoyable read for anyone who likes irreverent comics with a lot of action and some humor as well.
0: Very cool. Well, let's do let's do one thing before we go more into this book. Let's uh, let's maybe talk about your your origin with with comic books. Have you sure. been a, uh, a reader from, you know, early childhood? Um, did you get away from it, come back? What, what's what's the story? The answer is actually yes to all those.
1: Um, I, I've been a, a comic book reader for most of my most of my childhood. Um, I can vividly remember being a young kid, I, I you know probably in the in the late eighties, uh, being homesick and, and my father coming home from work and bringing home some comic books that he picked up from a newsstand back when you could buy comic books at newsstands. And I remember reading them and, and kind of instantly being hooked by the meld of of visuals and writing you know, coming together in a way that I had never seen it before. So that really kind of lit a fire under me that this was something I enjoyed and I collected comics for most of my childhood. Um, grew up, uh, got a job, kind of drifted away from it a little bit, didn't pick up a pencil, didn't pick up a pen, didn't really do anything comics related for a little while, and then kind of came back to it. And as I came back to it with a lot of catching up, I do started collecting again, uh, got into a little bit of, of manga, a little bit of, of more eclectic type series and artists. And probably in about uh, 2020, when the pandemic came, decided I wanted to create my own comic book, put my head down, got it done, was able to get a book uh, limited exclusive uh, one shot into Free Comic Book Day 2021, about five local stores here near where I live. So
0: was able to take something that started as just an interest, uh, turned into a hobby and, and kind of became a passion. Very cool. And so was the uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the Free Comic Book uh, Day story? Yeah, it was a, a, a one shot called the troublemakers. And it
1: essentially was an idea that it was a internship for aspiring supervillains. So you often see the stories about, you know, the schools for heroes, the training plans for, for heroes. But this was essentially a world that had a lot of problems and a group of people who wanted to fight back against the system in order to fix it. That seems to be something thematic in a lot of my work is that the people who are in charge and have power really have a responsibility to use that. For the right reasons. And this was a group of people who were training to learn how to fix the system basically from within and by force to some degree if necessary. So like a lot of other internships, they had some professional villains that were in charge. They would each go through a certain arc where they would work with a, you know, a thief and they'd work with a, someone who did mind control. They work with a mad scientist, all of the, the supervillain tropes in each arc was kind of designed to have them work with one of them. Uh, but I kind of shelved that idea for now uh, because I felt it was a little bit derivative of some of the things that were coming out uh, recently. And I didn't want it to seem like I was copying off things like My Hero, um, you know, the boys, things like that were like, you know, the anti-heroes were kind of taking down the heroes. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to look like that. I also didn't want it to look like a lot of the school-related stuff that's coming out right now. So I kind of put that on the shelf and picked up Accidental Renegades, which is something that had been gestating for a very long time.
0: Nice. And just to talk about that free comic book day store, Story. Um, You said you got that in about five shops. Is that correct? Yeah, and
1: and what that really did was that that taught me it really kind of hammered home the importance of keeping a schedule and staying on a schedule. And and one thing as I worked through my first crowdfunder or crowdfunding campaign compared to the Free Comic Book Day is you have a lot of latitude on a crowdfunding campaign. You can set your own deadlines and you can kind of put your own your goals in there. But with the Free Comic Book Day event, I had to get the book complete to the printer, back from the printer, and delivered in stores by free comic book day. And it didn't matter how great the book was, if it showed up a day later, it wasn't gonna get there. So mm-hmm. it really kind of hammered home the importance of being able to stay on schedule and keep a schedule. And once I was able to do that, I felt a tremendous amount of confidence because not only did I put out a book that was well-received and, and, and pretty solid, it had you know some areas that could be improved, but a pretty solid book that was put out on schedule and got out into, you know networked in five comic book shops, got them out and get to see my book on shelves on free comic book day was a pretty big rush
0: cool and did you like stay in one of the shops on on free comic book day you know i didn't day? and
1: i i didn't that just that day just by the way luck works out happened to be the day of my daughter sweet 16. so i uh i basically in the morning ran around delivered the books and got home for the party um and actually one of the comic shops uh offered you know well hey if you want to sit here and you know hang out and sign all day that'd be great and it would have been an amazing opportunity but you know, I had to take care of my daughter first and and that, that, that's more, that's more important in the big picture. So, and I don't think she would have let me forget it if I, if I (laughs) I didn't. So yeah, I didn't get a chance to really get the full flavor, but at least I did get to go around and see it. And that's not nothing.
0: Yeah. And, uh, was that the, the first, um, sort of published thing or the first completed thing you had? Yes. Yeah. I've, you know, I'm one of those guys that has, you know, portfolios
1: and folders full of half finished ideas. Um, I made the transition from traditional art to digital art during the pandemic in 2020, and that has been extremely useful for my workflow um, because it allows me to take a little bit more chances. If you make a mistake digitally, it's very easy to just erase it and keep going. On paper, it becomes a a bit of a problem if you keep trying out ideas and they don't work. Eventually, you start to mess up the paper and the quality is not very good. But being able to work digitally gives me a lot of freedom to take chances and a lot of that Those chances, I think, are coming through in the energy of the work that was missing from a lot of what I was doing on paper traditionally, and also being able to work more quickly traditionally or uh, digitally versed traditionally is a godsend, especially if you're like me and you're doing everything yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to to finish that book and and, and to have it on free comic book day had to be really cool because, you know, a lot of times if you go up to a creator and you're like, hey, do you have any advice for me? on on how to make a comic like basically a lot of times you'll hear it's like hey make a comic that's the best way to to do it because you you know that that first time you do it you learn everything and and you get it done and you know what to do has there been any things and you mentioned that there was you know some things that you did and you saw that there was there was room for improvement was there anything you learned on that on that first uh that first go through for the free comic book day
1: yeah there was a few things um how to, you know, interact with, with printing companies was something I learned. Um, I think I kind of went in just figuring, oh, well, they, they'll have all the answers and I'll just give them the file and they'll know what to do. And they did come back with a couple of questions re- regards to things like formatting and, and, you know, the scale of the pictures that I didn't necessarily understand from a technical perspective. So I learned that and that's been pretty important. Also, working digitally for the first time, it's kind of like getting a sports car, but you're a new driver. Like the car can do a ton of great things, but you can't get it to do that just yet. That's kind of how I was with the first book because I have Clip Studio Paint and it's got thousands of amazing features that can make your work really shine and can really work to make your strengths even stronger. But I didn't necessarily know how to take advantage of all those with the first book. I'm learning more every day and I'm tremendously further along now than I was then. But that's something else I look at. And then the other thing that no one really, I think, explains, and it's something that I would advise any artist to keep track of is make sure you understand the scale of what it's going to look like on the printed page, not necessarily on the page you're working on. Um, because I, there was a couple of things when I saw it printed, I was like, oh, I should have added more detail to that. It doesn't look right. Or I added too much detail to that. And it looks muddled just because of the way it scales down on the, on the printed page. So that's something else that's always kind of important to keep in mind. There's a lot of technical aspects. Um, I learned a tremendous amount about going and networking with you know local you know business owners, at the at local comic shops. Um, a couple of them gave some great advice to, to make it more efficient, and that was great, too. And then I think the last thing that I learned, and it kind of comes back full circle to what you started with, is I had wanted to create a comic book for a long time. It's kind of a running joke, you know, my family for a little while that, you know, I'm going to create a comic book and everyone laughs like, haha, yeah, you've been saying that for, for years, right? But then I kind of realized that at the end of the year, at the end of, of 2021, I was going to be a year older. I was either going to be a year older having created a comic book or is going to be a year older having put it off for another year. And that was kind of my inspiration to say that there's never going to be a perfect time to start. You're always not going to be ready. There's always going to be something in the way there's always going to be something you need to work on. And that's true for me, as I think as much as anybody, but just saying, you know, regardless of how this looks, it's going to get done and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And we're going to go from there, I think is really the first step. And, And for a lot of people myself included. The hardest step is to just start. Once I start, I tend to get momentum, but starting seems to be the hardest part for a lot of people. So it's kind of like exactly what you said. You know, if you want to, how do I create a comic book? Well, the answer is create a comic book. That's it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's that complicated, but it's also that simple.
0: Yeah. You said a couple of things that are really interesting there. Um, and a common thing that I've found and I've experienced this as well, is that, that, that printing part of the, uh, the, the comic always seems to trip that that first time creator um, up. It's like, you know, you're you're almost in the home stretch. You're, you're turning the files in and they're like, hey, you know, this file doesn't really work and stuff like that. And I'm lucky enough that like, I have a, a creative partner that I'm just like, I don't know what they're talking about. And they're like, don't worry, I'm, <laughs> I, I got this under control. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people that first time, you're, you're so close to having it done. You, 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 you send the files in and then there's a little bit of tweaking you have to do or you you know you have to go into their specifications and, and change it around. So, that, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and um, what, what
1: got me in particular were the double page spreads. So okay. the double page spreads in the file were counted as a page. So you know, it wasn't counted as say nine and 10, it was counted as page nine. And then it went to page, like I think page 10 would have been page 11 and so on and so forth. So when they were trying to f- put the book together, those double page spreads were coming up, shrunk down on a page. Oh. and There was a lot of, like, they were unsure on how to make it fit. And I was a little bit unsure on how, to, how to work it. So what I ended up doing was I ended up going back into the, the Clip Studio Paint file, saving those double page spreads as JPEGs, literally cutting them down the, the vertically down the center and putting one on page nine and the other half on page 10. So that... Mm-hmm as far as it looked, it was literally still, it was, I mean, for the view for the reader, there's no difference, but from the printer's perspective, now they're printing up separate pages. They're just printing out facing each other like a double page spread would be. I still don't necessarily know how that happened. Um, and I mean, this is an experienced printing company that should know how to fix that. And they were, they sent it out to various texts. And so I just chalked that up to a first time rookie on clip studio paint, messing up the formatting somehow.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that, um, you know, we find as, as indie creators is, you know, you might test out a couple of printers. uh, But if you find one that's very communicative and will like help you um, or at least send you some information back, it's it's very helpful because, you know, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've, I've sent stuff off and they're like, Hey, your files are wrong, fix them. Or, you know, I've actually been lucky enough for with some printing companies. They're like, Hey, this is off. Do you want us to, to fix this for you? Like if you find somebody like that, that's 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 pretty valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this company was was good. I mean, they were they were definitely quick on the turnaround as well. Um, but a lot of it was I didn't know how to explain the problem, they didn't know how to explain the problem. So the two of us were both kind of in the dark trying to figure out how to fix this issue.
0: Yeah. And there's also there's that moment when that that box shows up at your doorstep. And, uh, you know, you, you get the, you get the exacto knife out and you cut it open <laughs> and you're like, all right, it's, it's, it's do or die time. I'm going to, I'm going to look at this. Did, did, did everything turn out right? Like, and there's like, there's like excitement and dread at the, right, at the same right, time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know
1: that. I know that feeling too well. Yes.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So you, you had this experience with, uh, you know, making a comic and getting it ready for for free comic book day. Is this the first time you've gone to uh, crowdfunding?
1: Uh, yes, this current book is the first crowdfunding campaign. When I did the one for Free Comic Book Day, that was something I had saved up some money and I had basically, you know, self-published it. And really, more than anything, it was to to kind of get, you know, myself out there, get people kind of interested in what I was doing. And I guess also it was kind of the challenge of to see if I could do it. So I had time, I had energy, I had motivation, I was able to get it done. But the the current book that's that's in Kickstarter right now was my first crowdfunding experience.
0: Nice. And so um, what? were you in the Kickstarter ecosphere before sort of backing books and, and, and seeing what worked, what sort of struck your fancy as like, Hey, I really like the way this, this person, this guy, this gal, like designed their page. Were you looking at stuff and then saying, Hey, I'm going to reverse engineer this. I'm going to take a little piece of this. Yeah, absolutely. um, Absolutely. In fact, and I, I would, I would in the strongest possible terms
1: recommend that to anyone who's starting their first crowdfunding campaign, regardless of whether it's, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, Crowdfunder, whatever program or whatever, you know, app, I guess, that you know, that you choose to use, you definitely need to get on there and spend time in there. And I did, I, I definitely did my homework before I went to the this Kickstarter. Um, you know, I watched the YouTube tutorials, I, I went through various Kickstarters, I backed probably about I would say 20 to 25 before I even launched mine, um, to you know, see what other people were doing, to, to support books that I thought looked really good, to support creators that were doing interesting things. And also kind of, you know, like you said, going through their campaigns and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And truthfully, I took a lot of inspiration from a lot of other campaigns. Um, you know, if I had a question like, well, how do I how do I express this to, to the you know potential backers? You know, what are other people doing? And then I went to some of the crowdfunding campaigns that I supported and I saw what they were doing. And I thought this is, you know, this is really creative. They have a really, you know, exciting way of putting this information out there that gets my attention. I would like to try something similar. I did not do a video, um, just because in looking at all the videos that are being done, those are usually showing like almost completely finished works in the video or or something that the the author had done previously in that series. And mm-hmm. since this was a first issue and it's still in progress. I didn't have, I felt like enough to really put a video together. I only had like two or three finished pages. I didn't feel like that was enough to really put in a video. So instead I put those pages inside the, the campaign so that people could kind of see an idea of what they were getting, at least in draft form. So that was something that I had picked up from a couple of people. I had listened to, to individuals that said, I don't watch a video. You know, people will say, I don't even click on the video, but if you don't have at least one or two pages, I'm almost not going to ever back your book. Cause I don't know if you're going to be able to write a comic book. So That I kind of took that to heart and some of the other advice that I would probably not have known if I wasn't deeply immersed in Kickstarter prior to launching my own.
0: Yeah, the the, the video is a tricky thing. You know, I've done a a few uh, campaigns either as a publisher or or by myself. And this last one, we didn't do do a video on it. And, uh, you know, I talked to so many people and they're like, a lot of it is for me is like, do I know that person? Like, do I like that person? Do I trust that person like that? That video, well, it's nice is not going to be the, 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 you know, one of the really deciding factors on if, right. if I back it. it's the, it's the preview pages. It's, you know, knowing that person, you know, seeing that person's hard work is like really what's, what's valuable to me when it, when I'm looking at their, at their page. Right.
1: Right. And I I've seen, you know, some really creative videos that were, I mean, I mean, it's just great, like there's no other way, but they're just great videos. But I don't know if that necessarily translates to a great comic book. And and Mm -hmm. I don't know that the video necessarily tells you that. If the video, I like the videos that show me, you know, what the pages look like, what some of the characters look like, maybe you give me a little bit of information about the world that I would be entering into, like that's useful. Uh, I've seen other videos that are extremely entertaining, but not necessarily scratching the itch of of me as like someone who's backing a comic book. So sure. I think videos can really be hit or miss. Even good videos aren't necessarily good for backing a comic book. And I think it's a very difficult line to walk. And I certainly was not going to try to walk it on my first one.
0: Yeah. And then actually, when you were, were saying that, I was wondering, you know, with with comic books being such a... A medium where the action takes place between the panels. You know, it's static image. Our mind fills in what's what's going on. Um, videos are probably more valuable to like kickstarters that are in the in the tech industry. They're like, yeah, hey, yeah, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is how this product's going to work. Or, right. hey, I'm making a, I'm making a film. Here's a two second or not two second. Here's a you know five minute you know segment of it. Or, or you know what we're, what we're you know proof of concept probably more valuable in in those areas yeah and i really i know i i'm
1: kind of talking with the idea of maybe doing a video for the second one and and kind of it have it being an opportunity because i do like as much as i love the comic books i also do kind of enjoy getting to know the people behind the the books a little bit like what's your personality what are you into that's one of the reasons that of the social medias i I tend to focus most on twitter because it allows most interaction with people i get to kind of see what people are about watch them interact with other people um, a couple of the videos that I've seen that I enjoy were were literally creators talking to the camera, to, you know, to the to the backers, showing them the stuff, explaining their process, explaining, you know, what you get for your money, and also kind of putting a human face on it. Those are interesting. I might be willing to do something like that, and then show stuff from the first issue and what's coming out in the second issue, so that people kind of know what they're, they're they know who they're getting it from, but then they also know what they're getting when they they pay. Because, I mean, there's a lot of great indie comics right now that no one has enough money to support all of them. So you kind of want to make sure that you're giving someone what they're paying for.
0: So you get to the point where, um, you know, you design the, the Kickstarter, you're ready to go. You hit the launch button. You know, there's excitement. Um, You know, I checked in on your Kickstarter a few days ago. I think, um, do you, can you tell us where you are as far as like days and, and status?
1: Yes. Right now it's a 161% funded, um, 74 backers with about 21 days left. And and one thing, a lesson learned that I did on this very first Kickstarter is I made it too long. The next one's going to be a little bit shorter because I have 21 days left and, and I've really kind of elongated that, that mid-campaign lull because my campaign is so long. Mm-hmm. It's funded, but it does, it does mean that I probably have to pay, pay attention to it longer than I should have. Just because I didn't know what I didn't know and I wanted to give myself plenty of time to learn it. So the campaign is is doing very well. It just, it's got a, a, time-wise, it has more to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um I, I know what you're saying. I had a Kickstarter um, probably close to two years ago. And I was very concerned about the funding goal. So I did the, I did the 60-day period and basically all I did was extend my misery in the middle. Uh, right. like yeah. the, the, the dead zone, like, you know, so yeah, that's, that's one thing, but you, you know, you learn by doing, and this is, this is something that, that, you know, now.
1: Right. And For I, you know, I have said, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather fully fund a 60 day campaign than, than miss out on a you know 15 day campaign. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I've got the energy to, to see this through the end. And I know what will end up happening is most like there'll be kind of a, a, a spike towards the end when, you know, the first, like last 72 hours of the campaign but that just means I have to wait about three weeks to get to that. And and that's fine. You know, I, I have backers coming in, you know, in ones and twos, I'm just not getting the massive push that you get in the first few days of a campaign. Because again, every campaign I think goes through that lull, the longer your campaign, the longer you stretch out that lull. And that's, it's just, I think the cost of doing business.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, that's the, that's the thing that you learn. It's like, you know, you, you hit that launch button. Those first couple of days are exciting. Um, it, Thankfully here you're at the, at the funding point. So there's a little bit less stress there, but sort of in the middle, you're just sort of like, does anybody hear me? I'm sending right. this tweet out. Is, is it, um, you know, am I, am I doing enough? Is, is what's going on and sort of that you can drive yourself crazy in, the, in that yeah. middle period. Yeah, you absolutely can. And, you know, Uh, Like you said, I'm fortunate that
1: you know I've got funded. I know there are people who their books go to down to the wire and they get either funded or not funded, like in the last several hours. And now, Mm -hmm. truthfully, my my campaign goals were were pretty modest. Um, You know, I asked for fifteen hundred in order to fund about a a hundred print run. That's not that hard to to get to in you know sixty days. These individuals that are like you know. 21 day campaign for $10,000 of taking it down to the wire. That's That's the type of stress that, you know, I don't want to have to deal with, but I also am not looking to feel those goals, at least, you know, with the first book.
0: Yeah. And with you being sort of a a one person shop, is that a way for you to keep your, your production cost? um, Maybe at the, at the lower end, you know, somebody like myself who mainly operates as, as, as a writer, if I'm going to go to Kickstarter you know, I'm gonna have to um, pay at least one to two, possibly three individuals on a creative team. Is is that something that, that's helping you here?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the the being a one-person show definitely allows the, the funding goals to be a little bit more um, I guess, not minimal, but but respectable. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, you know, I also want to use this as a way to get as many books out there as I can. So I planned it on about a hundred book print run. I figured that was a a safe planning number. Even if I don't have a hundred backers, that gives me books that I can table with at cons and I can, you know, get out, you know, into the local area and kind of get those out there as well. I actually, what I learned from my Kickstarter was I had a, a specific tier where the individual could get themselves or their logo put into the book. The way the first issue works, it's got a lot of crowd scenes, a lot of you know cityscapes and things like that, where you can put a lot of people in. And that was the most expensive tier. And I figured I would get a few people for that tier. That tier alone ended up almost funding the entire book. It was like, basically, I think 1300 out of $1,500 was, was that tier. And it was great, except that it turned out to be a problem where now I was afraid it was going to start to take away from the integrity of the story if I spent so much time fitting other people into the book instead of the actual characters who should be in the book. So um, I, I, I kind of joked around, I was like, you know, this is supposed to be a book set in kind of, like, kind of an alien world. And it's going to be a, a, a lot of, you know, middle-aged white people in this book and <laughs> it's not going to work out for the story. So I eventually just put a cap on it and ended it on July 31st. And I even had people come back and like, Oh, that, that tear's not available anymore. Like I really wanted to do it. And it was a good problem to have. And I, I you know, can't stress that enough. But it was definitely a good problem to have. But I think I was taken by surprise by how much that was popular. And that really pumped up the funding numbers very, very early on and put me in a good position to not only get this funded, but also to, to get you know, the money to put, be able to, to table the conventions and get books out into, into, you know, like I said, the audiences outside of your normal crowdfunding lanes.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your, your creative process. One thing I'm interested about is, as is... Whenever I have somebody on who handles the the, the writing and the art, um, you could go about it one of two ways. You know, sort of at that writing phase, you could be very detailed and get everything out, or you could be very sparse and and figure it out. You know, you know, thumbnailing, sketching, and, and stuff like that. What's what's your process there?
1: I'm probably more of the the the, you know, sparse way at least. The, you know, in, in the beginning, what I essentially do is um, kind of start by figuring out how many pages the book is going to be. And they, typically my, my books run like between 34 to 36 pages, um, figure out what length, what the length of the book is going to be approximately. And then on each page, I'll put down the major plot points for that page. I won't really get too much into details, just, you know, on this page, um, you know, um, a car explodes and our heroes, um, you know, get flung across into you know the window of a Store right, like that's that's what's going to happen on that page, and then the next page goes, and the next page goes, and so that I, I hit all the major story beats before I get to the end. That also allows me to make sure that I put the the page turns, you know, with the most, um, you know, cliffhangery moments are on the page turns, and that the splash pages fit where they're supposed to fit, and, and those sorts of things. So that's really kind of a, a macro, big picture. I may put one or two notes in there if there's something that comes up as I'm going and I don't want to forget, but I really don't get into any dialogue, any panels, anything like that. Just what's going to happen on this page. Then when I'm done with that, I can kind of go through and refine it. If I think something needs to be moved or if I want to do a cutscene or something like that, I have the flexibility to do that fairly early on. That's just all done on a laptop. That's not really anything physical yet. Then I'll start to figure out what visually would look good, how the panel should work. start working dialogue, start working the major story beats in more detail there. And that's something that's almost kind of like a, a loop is I will routine, routinely come back to that and refine it. Even, you know, right now today, I, you know, I was working on a panel and I was like, you know what, I think this panel might actually work better if I split into two panels and it kept the, the flow of the story, but worked better visually. So I'm still able to do that because all of the heavy lifting has been done already. So That is kind of how I work, but I also have the luxury of being able to do everything in shorthand and be very improvisational as I go through it, because it's just me. You know, I don't have to worry about getting something to a collaborator certain amount. of time, like, you know, you have to get stuff to your your artists. I don't have that. I don't necessarily have that that restraint. I can literally be like, you know what, I'll figure out. I'll figure out that conversation when I get to it. I've got time to, to work up to it. And then as I'm working, I'm probably gestating on it and figuring out by the time I get to that page, exactly how I want it to work. So that's a luxury that I'm able to have. Um, but then again, I also don't have a collaborator. So I have to be very careful that I don't get tone deaf to some of the things that I'm doing, because I don't have anyone to bounce that off of necessarily.
0: And so do you do your do you do you your own lettering?
1: I do. Yeah. And, and lettering is something that you know, I definitely have an appreciation for for the very unappreciated artists that letterers are um, on troublemakers. I felt like <clears throat> I felt like I did a pretty solid job, but, but definitely room for improvement. Um, I got into a lot of studying on how to do it better. And I, I feel like while I'm not a professional letterer stage you know, I certainly wouldn't put myself at some of those those individuals tiers. I definitely know how to make it work as a component of the story and not something that is separate from the story. And that's something that I learned after my first book is that lettering is not, is not separate from the story. It's not, you have the story and then you throw some letters on lettering is an active part of the art. And one thing that I am doing with accidental renegades is I'm incorporating the lettering more into the panels so that the lettering in some cases becomes almost part of the art instead of something to support it. If that, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. And I guess one of the things is, you know, um, as an artist that I've come to appreciate is that, you know, if you have a sequence where, let's just say two individuals are walking down a hallway, and they're having a discussion, you sort of have to give them that that negative space above their head to, to fill in the balloons. So like you have nobody to complain to if, if the, if the artist didn't, you know, give you enough room for the dialogue to fit in. Right. Right? And that's,
1: that's one of the godsend of digital art is if I have that situation, I can, I can adjust or nudge the picture just a little bit to give myself a little bit more room. But, but one thing I did learn is, you know, fairly early on, I think even before I did my first comic book is, is, you know, everyone I've seen has drummed in, you know, leave room for the balloons, leave room for the balloons. So I'll actually in my thumbnails, put the balloons in the art so that I know, you know, okay, I need to, I can't put that here. I can't put that here. Cause that's where the balloons are going to go. So I will often have balloons and, and working digitally allows me to kind of color code them. So I can put the balloons based on who's saying it and kind of make sure that it flows. Cause that's another thing, kind of like you mentioned is two people are talking, not only do you need to leave room for the balloons, but the balloons need to be in an order that the reader knows who's saying what. So mm-hmm you know, putting them on the page digitally and, you know, in colored balloons, just drawn right, you know, on a layer allows me to make sure that, okay, that is either not going to fit or it's not going to make sense. Or if I try to have this character say that much, it's going to cover up the art. So I can kind of work around that a little bit just based on, on again, the planning stages of it. And I can always come back to it but again, because I'm doing it by myself.
0: Okay. Do you ever have days where, say, maybe the, the line art just isn't working for you. So you're like, Hey, I'm going to go back and, and color some pages here. And like, it's sort of a different creative skill and yeah, that allows and, and you to sort of keep moving.
1: Absolutely. And it's actually funny
0: you say that because I have a couple of pages,
1: a couple of panels right now that aren't, haven't been really, um, haven't really been colored or I, you know, I, I work largely in black and white. So I haven't been screen-toned or anything like that. And I come back to that later because, Screen tones and and really more than color, but but adding screen tones, while it does require a certain um, creative aspect of it, you know, you definitely need to use right brain a lot when you're using screen tones. It can be more of like a therapeutic, you know, put that there, see how it looks. Okay, good. Put that there, see how it looks. Okay, good. It, it kind of can be a little bit more of a almost put your brain in autopilot type thing. And I definitely will leave that in many cases for later. And, and something else I found is if I do it all kind of later on, I'm a lot better at keeping things consistent throughout the book. So, you know, I know what types of shades, what types of screen tones, um, what type of pixelations I'm using for each character. So I don't have to worry about messing it up throughout the book because I'm kind of going through the characters all at the same time. And it, it helps at least for me to keep things on track.
0: Nice. And do you have any sort of like uh record keeping system? Like let's just say you're working on, you know, a piece of dialogue or, or something and, you sort of have that eureka moment, you know, you're, you're mowing the grass, you're, you're driving the car and, you know, you're not actively thinking about the story, but in the back of your mind, you know, the, the story is percolating and you sort of have those, those moments and you're like, all right, this is, this is how I might want to handle it. How how do you, do you uh, grab a phone, notebook, um, yeah. it's 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 some of these questions it's almost
1: like you're like spying on me because I <laughs> my phone literally I have notes in my phone um, and I, I'd have to look but I, I think they're called I think the name of the note is literally like story ideas or or accidental renegades ideas or something like that and I'll put down oh you know a cool character would be this person and like here's a name because I'm you know I'm somewhere and I come up with an idea that, that that would make kind of a cool character so I put that in you know a note about just like you said like I'm trying to figure out how to figure something out. And then I'm leaving the gym and I'm like, I got it. That that's it. Get in the car immediately, pull the phone out and just put a a little shorthand, almost like encoded note to myself, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she shouldn't go into the building, you know, question mark. And that's kind of like, oh well, that solves the problem of why she doesn't know what happened, kind of thing. So yes, I absolutely will do that. And just kind of like, you know, you said like the thoughts in the shower when your brain isn't thinking about it, but your subconscious still is thinking about it having those solutions, having a way to jot them down. I used to have index cards and post-it notes all over my sketchbooks, all over things. Now it's, it's just basically my phone. So if I ever lose my phone, my creative enterprise is pretty much completely dead in the water.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I, I've gone to the, to the phone as well. Um, you know, Google docs um, is, is, is pretty amazing to, to yeah. be able to yeah, I've access used that as well. stuff yeah. Yeah. Um, wherever I am. Um, one question I have for you, um, do you have anybody read through um like the lettered script when you're done um to to check it? Cause I know for myself a lot of times if I live with a story in my head so much, I know what the characters should be saying, but I might not actually have, have written that in 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 text. Do you do you have somebody go through and be like, hey Jeff, that that that's not clear right here um and and just have a set of eyes of somebody who hasn't sort of live with the story in their head so much because you know again we know what the story is we know what we want those characters to to be doing or or saying and you know that might be what's still in our head but that's not actually what's represented on the page
1: yeah I, I definitely do um you know I've got a couple family members that I, I kind of trust um I work in education so I'll, I'll sometimes bounce you know some some scripts or or some dialogue off of some of the other teachers to kind of get their feel for it especially ones who work in like you know the English department where they're they're used to seeing different types of prose written in many different types of ways one thing that i did learn is again the importance of of editing and and proofreading again I, you know i teach and the number of times I've, I've told my students like you have to proofread your work you have to edit your work you, you can't just turn in your first draft you know mm-hmm. those sorts of things that every teacher hammers into every student when the troublemakers and it's funny because you kind of mentioned it when the troublemakers came out you know i got the the digital copy to look at i looked at it and i was really focusing on the double page spread issue and once that was fixed i was like oh thank god we're good to go uh when the books came in you know i gave one to to you know my my son he's reading it and he's like wow this is really good he goes but i think i think there's a typo on on one of these pages so i was like no that's impossible I, I know there's definitely not a typo. I've run this through every single format, you know, every single spell check, you, you, you can get It's definitely not a typo. And what had happened was the, um, the word balloon, I guess when I was messing with that double page spread, I had moved the word balloon a little bit. So the last word in that balloon got cut off. So mm-hmm. the sentence just kind of ends without the last word. And he's like, I can I mean, I figured out what they were saying. It's not really a big deal. He's like, no one will probably notice it. I'm like, yeah, people will probably notice that it's a double page spray with a word missing from the balloon, they'll probably notice, but it's a free book, so I guess you can't complain that much. And that I was furious because I, I put so much time and so much energy, and I had checked it so many times just to have that kind of come up because I, I didn't have one other set of eyes on it before I went final, so that's when I started, you know, bringing in kind of assistance to help me read it, um, you know, beta readers, whatever you want to call them to get one last look at, at it before it goes final. And also to make sure that the story does make sense while there's still time to fix it. So yeah, that was a very painful, um, cringy lesson I learned, but you know, at least I learned it.
0: Yeah. I have a book where something was supposed to be labeled as ice grenades but they came over as eye grenades. And I was like, Hey, they're just sort of like the, uh, the Steve jobs sort of uh, right. <laughs> we're just going to put a little, we're just going to put a little eye on here, yeah. you know, uh trademark. Yeah. Right. So um, <laughs> very cool. So, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, we're here with, with issue one um, and you hinted at, you know, there, there's more issues to come if, if things are going really well for you and sort of, you know, everything's working on the schedule that, that, that you hope to have, what are you looking for? Like a a book every six months, a book, a quarter, a book a year, what's, what's your plan here?
1: Uh, Probably, I would say a book, a quarter to a book, you know, uh, you know, twice a year. It depends kind of on, on, you know, the schedule and, you know, what's going on in life and things like that. But, But my goal is at the very least to get two books a year out. I would ideally like to get three books a year, um, that would be the, you know, the perfect way of doing it just because the way that, that the arcs are kind of planned is they're basically three, three issue arcs, uh, about again, 36 pages each, you know, a little over a hundred pages per, per collection for each arc. Um, and then the way that the story is kind of told is each arc focuses on a, a different character so that as you start to go through, you get a little bit more of a background on each character. So I definitely don't want to put too much of a distance between the stories because it's bad storytelling and also it really does i think kind of take some momentum out of what i'm trying to say
0: yeah yeah i think i think the optimal thing for for an indie creator is that that quarter like we're not the big two we can't do the we can't do the monthly issues because it's like i gotta make this thing i gotta promote this thing i gotta print this thing and then you sort of go back into make, promote, print sort of mode. And if you figure those are all sort of, you know, and that's working very fastly or working very efficiently, that's sort of like monthly. And I know that those things can sort of bleed into each other. You can be working on the thing while you're promoting it. You can be promoting it while you're, you know, prepping everything for print. But like, you know, it's really great for an indie creator if they can hit that quarter, that schedule. Uh, Do you have any plans to sort of, um maybe collect them as as trades for every every third issue since yeah, you're yeah you're focusing absolutely yeah and and
1: you know i see some of these kickstarters that have been you know the the story's been working for for quite a while that have you know collect one through six and collect you know these digitally and these you know in a, in a hardback or in a trade paperback that's kind of my goal is to get this story to the point where it can be collected in a trade paperback or, or some sort of you know, an omnibus for lack of a better word, uh, that would be really very much the goal because that allows new backers to jump right in and kind of get caught up. But it also kind of rewards the people who have been there for a while by having a, a collected version of the story. So yeah, that is one of my midterm goals for sure, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe something that would be really cool for you, for your book is I've, I've sort of witnessed this myself as I think we're roughly around the same age is like, I love the the single issue floppy comic but Mm -hmm. my son loves trades. he doesn't care about bagging and boarding and putting that in his 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 long box to never be seen again he just wants he just wants the trade that he can throw in a backpack he doesn't have to care if the corner gets dinged it's not a 9.8 anymore so like (laughs) that's probably also something that would be very valuable to you yeah, absolutely, and and again, I do think it, you know it does matter because not a lot
1: of people necessarily jump jump in early on, especially for a new creator without necessarily the the street cred that makes people want to back out the gate. I mean, I've backed a, a couple books from you know Mark vestry or or Candor Reeves, like they're they're known. Getting people to back a book for them is not really an issue, but if you're a new you know a new fish in a in a big pond it's hard for people to necessarily jump in on issue one. So being able to collect it, I think, is a great way to reward people later who got into the the series, but just necessarily didn't get in on the ground floor.
0: Yeah. So for this campaign, is, is troublemakers something that we can catch up on? I mean, I know that, you know, we went to five shops for, for free comic book days or like, a digital catch up, a physical catch up for for the for the troublemakers. Uh, there will be,
1: but not for this campaign. I wanted to focus on accidental renegades for this campaign. I've talked to a couple of people about getting uh, um, troublemakers back into print and either offer them as part of the next campaign or you know sell them through the website or something like that. So there will be an opportunity to get troublemakers, but for accidental renegades, I wanted to really keep the focus on that story for this
0: campaign. Very cool. Well, Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Um, the book sounds really cool. You know, the talking to you about the creative process, sort of all the hurdles that, uh, you know, we as indie creators, you know, bump up against and, and stuff like that's been a lot of fun. But let's do this as we as we wrap up. You know, you gave us an elevator pitch, which is really awesome for the book. If you want to go a little bit more in depth for, for people to, you know, excite them and have them go check out the Kickstarter, let's do that. Let's also um, links for for your social media. I'm going to link everything in the show notes to make it as easy as possible for people to to find it. But let's uh, let's do that. Let's talk a little bit more about this book that's on Kickstarter and where to find you online. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the book is on Kickstarter right now. It's called Accidental Renegades. Like I said,
1: it's about a group of super proud mercenaries who just try to earn a living and end up stumbling their way into starting and becoming the figureheads for a global revolution. Uh, it it focuses on a lot of themes that I think will resonate with a lot of people. And if I would tell you, you know, there are comic books out there that have a lot of energy. There are books out there that have humor and there are books out there that have heart, but accidental renegades has all three. Um, I kind of say it's, it's like the product of a bastard child of, a threesome between Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> The A-Team, and One Piece, because it kind of encapsulates all those irreverent ideas. If you're a fan of books like Saga, The Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, I think you'll really like the energy that Accidental Rated Gates brings. And again, it's manga inspired, so if you're a manga fan, I think you'll definitely find something in there worth liking. That's on Kickstarter right now. Um, you've got time, but I would say you know, to all your listeners, don't wait. Definitely get in there and back it now. Once we hit, we're at 74 backers now. Once we hit 75, all the backers are going to get access to a exclusive Spotify playlist of songs that were either inspired by or used during the creation of Accidental Renegades. So it's a kind of an eclectic mix of everything from Long Island hardcore to, you know, 1960s jazz. So a little bit of of everything for everyone, kind of like the book. You can find that again on Kickstarters under Accidental Renegades. Uh, You can find me. Easiest way to remember is just Zed Comics Original. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Zed Comics Original. I'm on Twitter at the letter Z. So Z Comics Original. And the website is ZedcomicsOriginal.com.
0: Very cool. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to put show notes or links to that in the in the show notes. I want to be make it easy as easy as possible for anybody. Call up that pod player, scroll down. You know, it'll be at the bottom. Hit that link, go directly. You know, most importantly, go to the Kickstarter and then check out the other stuff so you can stay up to date on, on future issues that are coming out. But Jeff, it's been a, a lot of fun um, talking to you. Um, let's pencil in that we can talk again, you know, issue two, sort of catch up uh, Absolutely. state of yeah. all things, uh, accidental renegades. It would be uh, fun to, to find out, you know, what you've learned, how you've, you know, progressed as an artist creator over time. So let's uh, let's pencil that in. And um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, um again links for everything in the show notes if you give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use we really we really appreciate it if you want to follow the podcast we're on social media twitter is at construct compod instagram is constructing comics pod and facebook is constructing comics just thanks again to everybody for listening please be safe be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics thank you